Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3, and it is National Social Work Month and also Women's History Month. For those who are not familiar with these observations, it is critically important that we celebrate the work of social workers out there in the field doing what is necessary, advocating, counseling, organizing, all of the all of the things, because that is what social workers do. And it's also critically important that we recognize the contributions that women have made to society. And so as I approached this month's content, I wanted to be really intentional. And we are having conversations with three women social workers. And it's critically important for me to highlight the impact that they've had on me in addition to the impact that they've had on the field. And so we keep talking about the field. And I think today's episode is a bit of a play on words, realizing that we're going to be hearing from the very soon to be Dr. Malika Maris, who has been engaged in field education for quite some time. And field education, for those who are not as familiar or not in the social work profession, is an unpaid internship experience, which if you're following us on Instagram, I got a question for you all on Thursday about whether social workers should get paid during their internship experience. But enough on that. The field experience is so critical to who we're going to become as future social workers. It's our first insight of how do you manage an organization or how do you handle clients or just all of the things that make up the DNA of a good social worker. And I recall very well my two field experiences. I I spent my first one at a juvenile court office and the second being at a behavioral health organization where I followed their CEO. And I think both were really important for me in the way that I now look at issues and the way that I approach systems, because it shows me how these systems interact with each other. And in some cases that overlap can cause more harm than good. This is a lot longer of an intro than I normally do, but I I wanted to reflect a little bit. And before I introduce you all to Malika, I think it's important that we identify the role field education plays. So one, you can't graduate unless you have that field experience, that practicum, but also it's just so vital to your exposure to social work because without it, it's all theory. And I feel like the field education experience is that first practical hands on what will I do in that situation? And so the lessons that you gain there are invaluable. I've talked a lot. I'm ready to introduce you all to Malika Maris. Malika. Well, thank you. So um, like James said, my name is Malika. I was born on the East Coast, actually, um, in East Orange General Hospital, which I don't think that exists anymore. But people like Queen Latifah were also born in that hospital. So, you know, it was awesome. Um, And I spent half of my childhood in New Jersey, then moved to California to the Bay Area, to Oakland, um, and finished elementary school, junior high back then, and high school in the Bay Area. And then... 
Um, went to Nashville, Tennessee to Fisk University uh, in, um, got my BA in history, not a social work degree. Um, I duly noted that you've had a lot of HU grads, um, not a lot of Fisk grads, but you know, we're pretty awesome too in our own right. Um, and then I moved back to California for a while, um, did some work um, in the juvenile justice system at a volunteer work at a co-ed facility, but I worked with girls, which led me to believe that I wanted to be a juvenile defense attorney um, and follow somewhat in my mother's footsteps except that then I found out about this profession of social work. And I was like, wait, dang, what is a social worker and what does a social worker do? And I realized that a social worker could have a larger impact on a child in the juvenile justice system. So I went ahead and got my MSW from um, the University of Houston, Graduate College of Social Work, and then I guess almost two years ago now, I started on um, my DSW at University of Southern California, which will I will be, God willing, um, done in May, which I am glad. We have no and choice. <laughs> th we have no choice really to be done, but you're correct. So I will be done. Speak it out there. And currently I am the... BSW Field Education Director for a brand new social work program at the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. So I'm living in Colorado Springs. And in August, I will actually be the MSW Field Coordinator and over kind of the whole field program, kind of setting direction, tone, and policy. And I can now say that since it's everything's official and signed off on. And so I'm excited about that. So it's a brand new program. Both the BSW and the MSW are brand new social work programs. So we're building a program from scratch, two programs. So before we get into the topic, I find myself asking folks random questions. What are Fridays for, Malika? Fridays are for Fist Fridays. We wear Fist Square on Fridays, showing support and love to our school. Yeah, I, I just wanted to note that because you made the comment about HU, I'm going to have to have more HBCU grads on the podcast. I think I, I might have one FAMU person on here, I can't recall, but yeah. We're, okay. We're okay. Yeah. Let's, we're getting there. Yeah. So, in the middle of building a plane while you're flying it, tell us a little bit about field education. I mean, how does it fit into everything else that is social work? Well, actually field education is the cornerstone of a social work education. It is the moment that all social work students experience. I don't care if you're in a BSW program, I don't care if you're in a master's program, you are going to experience field education. And that what makes us different than some of the other helping professions because you have no choice but to experience this. Now it may look a little different, 
there are some undergraduate programs that will have students do a field placement their junior year of college and their senior year. Uh, I'm under the belief that we can get it done in our senior year, um, ranging from 400 to 500 hours for a student to do. And in the MSW program, it's it happens twice. It happens in your first year and it happens in your second year. A lot of places will say they'll only take MSW students, although I would beg to argue that your senior year in a BSW program and your MSW program the first year is basically the same experience field education wise. You're generalist, you're learning how to do things in the field. So you're not just following a social worker around, you actually become a social worker. And I, I phase it as to my students is you are paying to work as a social worker, right? Because we pay for these credit hours as social work students. Um, you pay for the course that's attached to it. And so unfortunately, you're paying to actually work a full-time job for an agency or 16 hour a week job for an agency. Um, and then your second, field placement in the MSW program is more concentrated. It could lead to a possible job when you are done. But you're learning the skills. We have these nine areas that you have to touch point um, during your time in the field. So for example, you have to learn how to um, engage with a client. You have to learn how to assess a client. You have to learn how to prepare or make plans with a client for progress. You have to know how to evaluate that. You have to learn how policy interacts with um, your clients. You have to know how to run a group um, and you have to learn how to write up research, write up reports. Uh, I try to ensure that students get a wide range of experiences, but some students don't want all that they don't want to practice in the micro setting and the meso and the macro setting. Um, but I try and do that. And before I became a field director, I was actually a field instructor. So I've experienced it on all parts. I know what it's like to supervise a student in field. I know what it's like to be in field as a student. And I know what it's like to get the field placements get the students ready for field and put them in field and work with them while they're in there. So I know it all um, in that sense, I've experienced all of it, but we really want to make sure that we have social workers that are graduating who are competent to work in the field. We don't wanna send out social workers that don't know how to interact with clients. And this is one of our gatekeeping moments that if you cannot pass field and you get terminated from your field placement, then maybe you shouldn't be a social worker. I really wish I would have spent more time being intentional when I was still in field education, right? Having mm -hmm. a better relationship with my field instructor. Like I, I just wanted the hours, like I was just ready to graduate and I didn't spend as much time facilitating a relationship where I could talk about the challenges of the profession because what they do is they give you a social worker like someone who's lived what you're trying to do and like I was just like eh, well but now as uh what 
how many years removed am I? Eight years removed from graduate school. It's like, oh, I really wish I would have talked to somebody about supervision because then I wouldn't have the feelings that I do now when it comes to licensure. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's interesting. I mean, like, I encourage my students to soak up everything that their field instructor can give them, right? Like, this is a social worker that is taking the time. Um, most colleges do not pay field instructors. We do give them CEUs um, to keep up with their licensure, but they are giving you their time to make sure that you are a better social worker. So soak up all that they can give to you. And I love the social work instructors who keep prodding the students, keep teaching them and keep making sure that they mentor the student. And I love watching that continue to grow. I'll tell you, James, though, my second year MSW field placement, um, I was glad to go. Like, I, I felt at the end, I didn't need her mentorship. Like, she wasn't providing that for me. Um, and so I think that's important for us to do, to soak it up. And I'll tell you, I don't think you're the only student that was like, okay, I'm gonna get the hours done, right? And not take the opportunity what the field instructor could offer. I had a student and she allows me to talk about her. So this is, it's all okay if she hears this, but in the process, in the moment of me being her field instructor, all she cared about was getting the hours and getting her smoke breaks during the day um, and using, going to use the restroom, not really working, but getting the hours. After she was all done, well, when I first said, I'm done, I can't work with you, you've got to go. And she started crying in my office and the school begged me to keep her. And we came up with this whole plan of what she needed to do. And still she did the bare minimum to get through. But after, and after she did not pass through a social work program. I mean, she's not a social worker now because she had trouble completing the program. She thanks me profusely about the skills that I taught her and she's glad that she had me as a mentor. So in the moment, I probably wasn't what she wanted in a mentor, but later in life, that's been the case. So let's talk about placement, right? Because that is huge when it comes to field education. I remember my second year, they couldn't find a place for me that fit my interests. And I eventually ended up at our um, community mental health agency, which I ended up loving because it was administration-based. We were talking to legislators, like it was everything that I lo love and do now. But what are some of the challenges that you see when it comes to placing students? Well, one, I think finding places that students want to be, right? Like everybody, well, not everybody. There's a large portion of students who think all social work is, is therapy and that they want to be with a therapist. Well, you're not going to graduate and be a therapist the next day. So let's think about this, especially if you're an undergraduate student, that's not what's going to happen. Or if you're a master's student, your first year, you're not going to hang a shingle out right away. And then the other thing everybody thinks is that 
social workers snatch babies, right? So they think that their only placement is going to be the child welfare services or child protective services, whatever your jurisdiction wants to call it. And so you have to get the students to think broader and kind of think a little bit outside of the box. I had a student who I, I asked my students their preferences and where they'd like to go, what kind of populations they would work with, like to work with. And I had a student who told me she didn't want to work with kids. She hates kids. She didn't want to work with families. She hates families. Um, she didn't want to do medical social work because she didn't like the hospital next door. Um, so anything other than that, let her know. I'm like, well, you don't leave me much choices, right? So it's a balance game of trying to meet a student's needs and kind of where they would like to be and working in a certain type of area, but also kind of finding that field instructor that would be perfect for the student. Not only are you trying to find the spaces, but you also want to look for a field instructor, right? Like, what is a good field instructor? Who can really take the time and dedicate time to teaching a student um, and also encouraging the student, developing the student's skills, but not feel like they have to hold the student's hand the whole time. And then the other problem is finding the placements. And if you, I don't know how many schools were in your area that were looking to place students, but if you have one. just one, if you have multiple schools looking to place students and there's not enough agencies, you're all fighting over the same placements. Um, and that can be a little hard. And with the growth of online programs who have students all over the country trying to find and they send them on their own to find their placements. They don't refer them to any place. They say, look, find a social service agency. That's what you need. You need a social worker there. Um, it becomes hard. And if there's not a lot of social workers in your area, it becomes hard to find those placements. So I have to not only find the best placement for the student, but I have to find the placements, cultivate those, grow those, and find the field instructors in those places. So. I have to come at it from all different sides and different ends. But my process is to start looking for more agencies um, where I am now, right? We're a brand new program. So we are trying, we have to build those relationships with those agencies. But part of the problem is we do not have a lot of social workers in the area. So we're also having to get social workers to volunteer to supervise the student in a place where they don't work. And then I, I probably in a master's program, this happens often, BSW programs, not as often, but when you have students who have real life jobs in addition to the field and they have families, you have to juggle, does the place allow a student to work on the weekends? Does the, you know, um, do they only offer things Monday through Friday? Do they have nighttime hours? Um, how that all works. And so that's a, a perfect segue, right, into the role of DEI in field education. So 
understanding that some are <laughs> the heavy side. Some yes. organizations may not have, you know, DEI as a mission as part of their their vision, and that might be something that students really want. Or it might be the exact opposite issue where students have no desire to understand the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that may be something that the organization is trying to, to offer. How do you reconcile that or does it show up at all? Well, it does. And let me preface by saying that people make the assumption that social workers, because they advocate for social justice, right? Um, and that we believe in the dignity and worth of clients and individuals that we work with, that all social work students believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is not the case. So you're going to have students that you're working with that don't want to work with diverse populations. Right. And so you're like, mm, that's going to be problematic. But I'm going to start at before even looking at the missions and the goals of the agencies and how they come, where the, how that comes up. We have a problem that we do not have enough social workers in the profession that look like some of our students. So although the majority of social work students are white females, we do have a good portion of students of color in social work programs. The population of social workers sometimes that are reflective of our students is not always the case. And so I always try and have a diverse group of social work and in the community and social worker instructors that can reflect the student body in some type of way, be race, ethnicity, gender, um, religious differences. Um, maybe they were a first-generation college student, so they understand some of the pressures that the students are feeling. Maybe they're parents, and so they understand that some of their students are parents. So. I, I need diversity on both ends. I need diversity <clears throat> in my field instructors. And then when their agencies don't believe in equity, diversity, inclusion, it's hard to place students who do believe in that. But I also don't want to place those students who aren't comfortable with diversity and talking about inclusion to be in a place that's not pushing that, right? Because I don't want them to be comfortable in that place. For some reason, Colorado Springs has a large number of religious organizations that provide great services to the community. And one of the things I always ask them is, do your interns have to be of the same faith as your clients? And do they have to take a declaration of faith to work with you? Um, which I think is also important. It's also something that we need to talk about as social workers. We tend to kind of skirt away from that, but there are agencies that ask their clients for a declaration of faith um, and they ask their staff at the same time. So it's a real, it's a hard balancing act, making sure that I have um, agencies that believe in EDI because I do. Right. And so I want my students to, 
and I work on building that with my students. And I know some students are uncomfortable with that, but I want agencies that look at that. And if they are like faith-based and they will only serve people who of the same faith, what those conversations look like in the office, right? What do you, how do you justify that? What happens when somebody's not of the same faith? Do you just turn them away? Do you help them find additional services? Like, how do you balance the dignity and worth of everybody and providing services for people when they really need it if you don't feel comfortable doing that? It seems like we're naturally transitioning into kind of the the solution, right? When we're talking about field education, how are universities, maybe even yourself or your office, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're an office of one or not, because I know a lot of people are. How yeah. are people incorporating equity into field education? Well, I think this, unfortunately, social work education, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, had to have these, start having these deep conversations with itself, with educators um, over the summer. As the nation has start, started having these conversations like, equity and inclusion didn't matter before, which I don't get, right? Like we've known this has been a problem ongoing. So I don't know why we act surprised this summer that we have to have these conversations. And so I think we have to have those good, honest conversations within our own individual schools but every school that provides a social work degree is um, accredited by the Council of Social Work Education or CSWA. And they set the standards they set are what we have to do in our curriculums and provide for our students in order to keep accreditation or get accreditation. And so some of these conversations are actually happening on that level at the CSWE. So across the council of what do the new standards that are coming gonna come out in 21 or 20, well, 22, what do they have to include about EDI? And is it enough to say, hey, we taught students about diversity in class? Is that enough? Right? Or do we want to see that in the practice field? And do we want to see that our students gain the skills to deal with diverse clients? And so those conversations have to be had. Um, I do have a counterpart that I work with. And for both of us, we, she's actually a little more, she was my first counterpart, was a little more hesitant about um, religious-based organizations if they wanted the students to be of the same faith. And I was like, it's going to be okay. Like, we can work this out. She's like, yeah, but we need, you know, to have more inclusion in this and we need to challenge them. And it's okay, right? They want somebody of the same faith. I get it. Um, so we, but we have to be very upfront and honest with our field agencies, what we want and what we, the experiences we need our students to have. And in some areas, they're not going to have a vast experience with diverse populations. Um, I taught for a while in Missouri, and I can tell you 
that for the majority of my students, including students who were from St. Louis and Kansas City, this was seeing me in the classroom was the first time they were ever taught by somebody that was black. In the diversity class that we had for them, when they would write about <laughs> their experiences with diversity, the things that I would get in response from students about race um, was shocking and alarming. And I'm like, okay, I can't fail them on that, right? Like they're at least being open and honest. Um, one student told me that every black man was unfaithful to their wife. And I was like, oh, I can name quite a few right off the back. She goes, oh, that's what my father told me. And I was like, is it only black people that are unfaithful? She's like, yep. I was like, oh, interesting, right? So we have to challenge those stereotypes and misconceptions and falsehoods before they get into the field. But we also got to realize that when they work with clients in the field, we're going to have a whole host of problems. And I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, they're going to be Native American, there's going to be a host of problems. But they were never challenged in Missouri in this location with diverse populations. Um, the most it was, was there was a growing large population of biracial children. Um, and we talked some about what that looks like in the CPS system when trying to place children. Um, and so some of these children were placed in homes with white parents who, foster parents who had no idea how to do their hair. And so children walking around looking kind of crazy. And so um, our students worked with other foster parents to kind of give lessons on how to do hair, right? Like, so learning to adapt to the the culture that's there, but in some places you're just not going to find a diverse culture at all. Where I am now, I would say probably there are more has Latino, the Latino population is probably larger than the Black population, but I think the Asian population is smaller definitely than both, but I also think there's a large Native American population also. Um, and we have a lot of military attached families in the area, which brings a whole nother set of issues um, and complications. So I really think the solution is, one, we need to learn to challenge ourselves as a profession um, and get real about what we really mean by EDI and that we cannot just push it in the classroom and teach, say, hey, if you work with a black family, this is what you can expect, right? Because all black families aren't the same. All Asian families aren't the same and all white families aren't the same and all, all Native American families aren't the same. So we can't teach to this monolithic look like all families are gonna look like this, but we need to teach our students and adapt skills where they can meet the clients head on, learn how to work with diverse families, um, but make sure that our policies and agencies 
are more equitable for everybody. It doesn't matter who, um, but that we have that in place, but then we're also more inclusive. I had a student who was transgender and the first place that they interviewed for their field placement, they did not like the field instructor because they felt that the field instructor was too masculine for them. I picked the field instructor purposely for a reason. I knew that the field instructor had a transgender family member and felt more comfortable with the population. And also that their population of clients would not question the student about their gender identity. There wouldn't be any questions. They'd just go with the flow. And the field instructor contacted me and said, look, this isn't gonna work. I asked in an interview question, like what happens if somebody calls you the wrong pronoun? How are you gonna respond? And the student was like, I'm just not gonna work with the person. Well, that's not the answer either. So the student ended up working with older adults who the field instructor was also not a native to the United States who had a problem with using they, them pronouns. And the older population had problems using they, them. They couldn't get, they couldn't grasp it, right? And so it was a teaching lesson for the student to be more accepting to others that may think different than them, but it was also a teaching experience for the field instructor, how to adjust with that, how to work with that, and how to help their client base. And so I think there's a lot of teaching that goes on, but not just from a textbook. I think it has to be more kind of in the moment as things are happening at the same time. You bring up a really a few really good points. Um, I think the first being around social work as a profession has opened its eyes and ears to the discussion that maybe our field is not the helping profession. Maybe there's been moments where in our history and maybe even currently, we have actually caused more harm than good. And I think it's well overdue. And I'm excited that people are really facilitating that dialogue and taking action. Because, you know, for me, talking is just not enough. I also want to pick on the portion where you describe challenging stereotypes. And I think in the example you gave of your transgender student, being able to challenge the stereotype of what it means to be heteronormative, while also challenging the stereotypes of what it means to be transgender. And so the learning opportunity for both, I think, in the long term benefits both parties. Right. And I think the student and the field instructor came to a place where they understood each other better. Right. Like when you take away all the hype and the hurt feelings and all this, that they were able to have an open dialogue and kind of understand where each of them were coming from. Um, and I think that's really important because I also think that we cannot assume that everybody is going to be, if we're going to use this example, okay with different uses of pronouns, right? 
and not going by looking at somebody making assumptions based on the way they look. And so I think those are important conversations to have and to not to challenge someone's identity, but to understand where others are coming from and kind of meeting them where they're at. And I think that's an important skill that any person should have, but I really think it's important that social workers have this. And I think we've always, social workers have had this conversation for years that were broken or fallen angels from our original goal of what social workers were supposed to do, which is to help people, right? So Jane Adams lived in communities and helped residents and it was all good, but it wasn't all good, right? Taking people and saying you have to behave a certain way and act a certain way to fit into where you're living now is not necessarily good nor healthy. And we know that now. So we, I think that these are important conversations that we have to have. And I'm glad we're having it. I just want to make sure that we move beyond just having the conversations and do some action. Like you, I don't just want us to talk about it, but what are we going to do about it? How are we going to better prepare future social workers for that? And how are we gonna work with the current social workers that are out there so that we're doing more good than harm for populations of people? And I'll say this, that student was really helpful in um, changing the school board's policy on transgender youth because they could talk about the experiences they had and how they ended up at the college that they ended up. And I think that's important. I had another student who always met their clients where they were at. And I was always so impressed with the student because of her ability to do so. And while she was still in the intro to social work class, she was volunteering, going out to visit older adults in their homes and preparing them with an online class and doing some assessments. And they walk into this older gentleman's house who's homebound and he sees her and goes, you are a full breed Negro. And she was like, okay. And to the nursing student, looked at the nursing student and said, you half breed. And the nursing student was done. It was like, we can't help this man. He shouldn't be in the program. This is wrong. And the social work student was like, okay, I don't agree with the terminology, but the man is like, 80 years old. So maybe that's the word he knows, right? So let's work with him and help him understand why that may not be the word we use now. He ended up declining the service and that was fine, but she was willing to meet him where he was. So fast forward to her senior year, she's in her field placement and they have a student in the school who um, is repeats everything he hears at home, including when you disagree with somebody, he's like, I'm gonna rape you because this is things that he hears at home. And she finds out from the kid's counselor from elementary school that the kid's family is very racist. Um, he doesn't, in the beginning of the school year, wants nothing to do with her. He's very, um, combative with her and a black para teacher in the class. 
by the end of the year, she was the only person he would walk with to calm down in the middle of class. Like if he was having an outbreak, she was the person to calm him down. Did she change his parents? I seriously doubt that. I think they needed a lot more work, but she was able to start with the child where he was at. And I think that's really an important skill to have. And I think it's something that we all don't practice all the time. I know I have trouble meeting people sometimes where they're at and I want them to be above and to move faster than they're willing to fit, move. So I think that's an important skill to have and to remember that that is what we are supposed to do. Those examples are definitely of students that are the social worker, social worker. Like there's speaking, even for myself with my own years of experience, there's no way I could have done it. <laughs> <laughs> And I've always like, it surprised me. And you know, it, later it, it, towards the end of her career, we did an independent study together and kind of talked about how to have these meaningful conversations. But she never realized until we, I put like a name to it that she code switches. Like she didn't know that. She didn't realize what she did with her friends when she hung out with them was completely different than the social worker of her. And I think it's okay to have that social work professional side and the you side with your friends. Um, but yeah, but I don't know that I would have responded as well as she did to the gentleman. I, I might've been a little uh, taken back. I don't think I would have said, hey, we can't provide him any services, but I would have been, I don't know if I'm the one to go out with him. You mentioned as far as like your role in field education is really advocating on behalf of the student and the student experience. Mm -hmm. But what else could others be doing um, to support better field education opportunities, aside That's, from just being available? Well, so the first step, I think, is the willingness, right, um, to do this. It, we have to remember as social workers that we've all gone through this experience. So somebody did it for us, we should be willing to do it for somebody else. There's no extra pay, there's no glory in this. So we need them to volunteer and to do for somebody what was done for them. And in addition, we need the social workers to be willing to help the student grow and push the student to grow, whatever that looks like. We don't want the student to walk in the door and walk out the door in the same place. We want them to be able to better serve clients, um, diverse populations, that to look for the inequities that exist in our systems because they exist and to be able to face those and kind of look for solutions to meet those. We also need field instructors who are, who as social workers are willing to ask the tough questions of the agencies they work at. What are they willing to do? What are they willing to do to bring equity to the populations that they serve? How could they be more inclusive? How could they serve diverse populations? And what does that look like? I know a couple of my students, when they've been placed in schools during this pandemic, and we just talked about internet issues, but 
students who were having trouble connecting to class virtually? And how do we meet those needs of those students? And how do we meet the needs of students who um, their lunch and their food was dependent on being in school? How do we make it more equitable during a pandemic that all children have the services that they need from food to internet, to gaining education, to keeping therapeutic relationships going? How a student needs to look at how that equity can come about, but also the field instructor needs to discuss this and be able to handle that, as well as challenge their systems. And I think so, I think that's really important that we have field instructors that are willing to do that. Um, and I think it changes the scope of the profession and how we handle things as social work professionals overall. And if we can start with somebody who's interfacing and working with students and educating students, I think that the field education is that breeding ground for change and that it can grow from there in part because it's a new set of eyes. The student is a new set of eyes in the agency a new set of eyes to the outside world. Um, they're not jaded as much as their field instructor per se. And so um, it's a chance to bring new thoughts and ideas in and have a different type of conversation. And I think that's really important for the profession and the clients we serve. And if we're not willing to do that for our clients, then it could be problematic all along. We know that you're covering a lot. So you're not just leading and building a new field education office. You're also working full time. You're also in school full time. You also have pet mm -hmm. projects on the side. So I would be yes. very curious to hear what keeps you going. I'm really getting at what's your why in the work. So uh, there are two things. I. Uh, huh. So there's two sets of whys, um, but I think they're both related. I want um, people to have the same opportunities or better opportunities than I had myself. And so, you know, when we have children, we always want things to be better for them than it was for ourselves. And so I think a lot of what I want is this is what I experienced. I wanted to be better for you. And that's part of the pet projects that we call pet projects on the side, but like my work with juvenile justice work is because I want a better system for children. I want us to meet the needs of children and I want better social workers out there. Not that we're a totally broken profession, but I know we can produce and we can have a growing number of social workers that are challenging these tough issues, um, working for a better society and them having a better outcome than we've had. So I think it's the desire just, it, it may sound crazy, but just a better overall place. Like I want 
when I leave this earth, I want it to be better than while I was here. And I want people to have better experiences and better outcomes. So I think part of that is the why. I think I was drawn to social work in the beginning, which is part of the why is that I watched my mother give until she had nothing left to give. Um, She was always a hard worker, but she always also volunteered places and did things for others. And so I I think about that as, um, and not just giving to others, right? Like not just giving charity, but helping people, empowering people. And I think that's really important. I think um, if we can empower people to do for themselves or do for their communities um, or do for society, I think that's really important and really helpful. So it's that whole empowerment kind of learning from experience from what growing up and I think just leaving at a better place and a better profession than what I entered. And in all of that, knowing that you are looking to empower others, I'm about to put you on the spot, how do people keep up with you? Oh, well, um, I am on social media, although I, I've got to get better about this. Um, so I'm on Instagram and I think it's MD um, Maris. So it's MD M-A-R-R-U-S. And that would be Twitter also. So both of those are there. And I am getting better Um about posting on social media and looking at social media. Um, And I am uh, working with my family right now to develop a nonprofit um, organization. And so when that information comes out, I will definitely put it on my Instagram and my Twitter so you can, um, you'll be able to follow us there also. So I'm out there. Um, If you have a question about field education, or you're thinking about going into the social work profession, you've been listening to these podcasts, and you're like, man, I want to do what James does, um, or some of the people that he's had come on. Because the nice thing is you have showed the diversity of the social work profession, right? Not everybody's a therapist, not everybody works for child protective services. And so you've shown the wide diversity of what social workers can do. Or you can look me up at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs um, social work program. And I do respond to emails. And so I'm willing to have these conversations um, with future social workers, current social workers, but you can also follow me on social media. You're better than me because I do not respond to emails. I'm getting really bad at it too. But, but that's because you're busy. I mean, I'm busy too, but like you have a lot going on too. So you respond to, you respond to people on social media. Yeah. I suppose you're right. I might care about them more than I care about email. <laughs> I think during the pandemic, though, I think we've all gotten to that point at some point. Like, up, um, I won't. I don't respond to work emails on the weekend. I refuse to do that, and that has come about during the pandemic. I refuse to work on the weekends now. Boundaries. That's yeah. Well, Malika, I appreciate the time today. Um, 
I think it was really important because I feel like field often gets left out. You know, people just think of field as another class or if they're even familiar with the concept at all. But right. it's important to understand there's there's challenges with getting a, a student placed and also making sure that placement is a good fit for what is to come later in their social work profession. So thank you so much for right. having us and looking forward to you becoming Dr. Maris very, very soon. Thank you. And I can't wait to call you Dr. Bell. Um, I'm looking forward to that. So thank you for having me and thank you for your listeners hanging in there with us today. So. I want to give a special thanks again to Malika for joining us on the Equity Matters podcast. Looking at when this episode is going to be posted, I know that she, like myself, is knee deep in capstone writing. So I hope that this is a pleasant retreat from that experience. Um, a few more weeks and we'll no longer be doctoral candidates. We will be doctors. So just hold tight and send a prayer up for, for both of us, actually for all of our cohorts. I'm really hoping that you're starting to see the through line with this week's content. So we started things off with field education. That is the prerequisite for graduation. Next week, we're actually going to go into the field, like actual professionals practicing. We are going to hear from a few of my close friends here. We're going to be hearing from Christopher Scott, a.k.a. the hip hop social worker. We're going to hear from Dr. William Coombs, and we're also going to hear again from Gary Taylor, who you'll remember from the As the Monuments Fall episode. And we're going to be spending some time talking about the therapeutic relationship and more specifically black men in therapy. I'm really excited for this episode because it's raw in a sense that one, I'm doing very little edits to it. I think it's important that you get that full experience. And two, it's a conversation that needs to be had. So I'm looking forward to that. And also the rest of the month, we still have really good interviews coming. So you're going to hear from Gina Gimbel, who is a former colleague. We worked together for some time, actually, and still work with each other on occasion. And she's going to share her experience when it comes to continuing education. So the moment that you've graduated, the moment you're out in the field, if you're a licensed professional, you may need to have certain credits for your license to keep it up to date. And so going to hear about that. And we're also going to finish things off with Algeria Wilson, who is the policy director for NASW Michigan. Excited to have her on the line. Got a really interesting story that I want to share there. But please stay with us. We got a lot of great content this month. Follow us on social media. That's at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram. That's at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. And there is an Equity Matters Podcast Facebook page if that's your thing. Three ways to keep up with us, folks. Also, we have launched a newsletter, which is really fun because I'm not used to doing that kind of design work, but it's different and challenging. So I'm enjoying it for now. Until next time, folks, keep doing the work. And speaking of doing the work, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Shimon, who did his first Q&A recently. It was a joy to be a part of just watching the growth over the past three years. Like madness. Keep doing it, man. Until next time, folks, you already know equity matters. <laughs>